This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today turns to focus on Haggai 1, 15b through 2.9, with Haggai's second word from God for the Israelites surrounding their discouragement with the temple. Together, we will be discussing the effectiveness of God's glory in our lives as we say yes to his call to step out in faith. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back with you this week to uh, continue on in our journey through Haggai. Uh, And uh, we're going to be looking at Haggai uh, chapter 1, verse 15, part B, uh, through chapter 2, verse 9. But before we get to that, just a a quick reminder, uh, last week we really laid the foundation and, and set kind of the groundwork for where we are at as we um, jump into uh, this this minor prophet and, and what the Israelites have gone through, how they've come back from exile. Um, and uh, we, we dealt with Haggai's first statement from God regarding the post-exilic rebuilding of the temple. Um, with all of that, we discussed our call to prioritize God's agenda over our own. Uh, this week, as I said, we're going to move on to uh, the next um, prophetic statement from God through Haggai. Like I said, that's found in um, chapter 1, verse 15b to chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, and um, I believe we have Derek reading for us. So, Derek, would you mind reading this second statement? Yeah, so chapter 1, 15b. In the second year of King Darius... On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the all nations And what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. All right. Thank you for reading that for us, Derek. Um, I guess before we jump into our observations and in a conversation on this passage as a whole um really quickly i just want to i guess note the the timeline that the where this is taking place what what date is it is because um it would seem as though with i mean we're only into chapter two now i get that it's only a two chapter book um but at the beginning of each chapter so far, there has been a clear indication of what the date was. Um, and so 
as a result of that, I begin wondering, well, why? I mean, is there anything important about this date? Um, and what I found was that the, uh, the specific date that we are looking at here, the second year of King Darius on the 21st day of the seventh month, um, would have been the last day of the third of three celebrations, uh, Jewish celebrations that would have happened in this given month. Um, and that specific celebration is the, the Feast of uh, Tabernacles. And the, the two others that would have happened during this month are the Feast of Trumpets, which would have happened on the first day, and then also the Day of Atonement, which would have been on the 10th day. Um, and so I just thought it was, uh, I guess, interesting when we put it, put this whole um, prophecy, this whole conversation that Haggai is having uh, as he talks to the people in the context, recognizing that this is happening at, towards the conclusion of a, a feast, a celebration, uh, a time when all of them are gathered uh, for religious purposes to have a conversation about the state of the, uh, I guess, the epicenter of the religious functioning of Israel. So I guess in keeping it all together with our conversation from last week, um, this statement from Haggai is coming about a month after they began the work uh, on the house of the Lord. So I guess we don't necessarily know exactly how much has been accomplished, especially when we recognize that there's been three different celebrations that have happened also during that time. But this is about a month after the work began on the restoration of the temple. And so with that, um, where are we going? What, what are we seeing? What are questions that we have? What are some observations that we have as we move into this passage together? So I think the first thing that sticks out to me is um, Haggai's addressing of the questions that he asks. And it starts at verse 3, um, and he has three questions that he's asking, uh, seemingly three rhetorical questions that he's asking of, of the people. Um, and, you know, last week we, we addressed um, the, their actions and their actions not being necessarily, not that they were bad, but they weren't fulfilling what God had asked them to do. And it feels like even though the actions may be coming out, they're not having this, they're not having the heart that God is desiring them to have. And so it's um, like a corrective action, but he follows that up with like, I don't know, positive reinforcement. Yeah, I think that those questions that he's asking kind of are a point back to this conversation that we talked a little bit about, I think, previously. I'm not sure if it was on the podcast or something that we have talked about as a church body. But in Ezra 3, we see the once the foundations of the temple are laid, at the end of Ezra 3, I guess it's verse... Um, Let's see, uh, 11. So in verse 11, it says, And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid, while many others shouted with joy. 
No one could distinguish the sound of shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise. And when we look at this piece, some of the weeping could have been weeping of of joy, but there was also this conversation and scholars think that potentially a lot of this weeping was actually a result of this grieving that the former glory of Solomon's temple wasn't necessarily being established in the same way. And so this just fell so far short of what the expectations were. And I think as we move into this conversation in Haggai, and as he's asking these questions, you see that that's exactly the same kind of heart issue that's being addressed is that there's this, there's this undertone of discouragement in that, that this just doesn't seem to add up to what Solomon's temple was and Jerusalem just isn't as great as it was before. And how could this ever be good? And how could this ever be the promised land again? Yeah. It's, it's almost like on a kind of small level, Israel is replaying a, a, a scene that it has already been through right here in Haggai, like this, this scene of discouragement that they are encountering, like that's been done before with respect to this, this, uh, second temple, uh, to Zerubbabel's temple. And, and, um, in the same way, uh, kind of going back to where we started this show with talking about the, the different, um, uh, celebrations that were happening and how this particular message, this particular prophecy is coming on the final day of the, the Feast of Tabernacles. I, I feel like just as that discouragement is a, a miniature version of something that Israel has already been through, there's something bigger that is happening right now that is calling back to something else Israel has already been through and how that is to inform what they are what what they can expect coming forward. And so by that I mean like the feast of tabernacles the, the purpose of it is to recall that time that the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness when they were living in tents when they were living in tabernacles for lack of a better term. Um and so they are are finishing up this celebration, finishing up this recall to where they had been when they're going through this these wilderness years, wandering, not really sure what's going to happen, not having um, been able to even grasp the promise, right? Um, on the verge of it, but not actually there yet, and so they don't they they don't have a taste of what that's like. Essentially, that's where Israel is at right here in Haggai as they are looking at this temple. They they maybe have this taste of it because they're getting to rebuild a temple, but they don't really know what this looks like going forward. And and then we move into, so we go from these questions that are asked that that begin to paint this picture, begin to make us think about this this stuff, but then there, there are some very specific statements that are made that I think really drive this home. And, and it starts, uh, let's see, in verse um, 4, not at the beginning of verse 4, but kind of midway through verse 4 where it says, Be strong, all you people of the land. Um, and then 
at the end of uh, verse five, there is this, this statement, do not fear. And when I read those things together, I can't help but, again, think back to another scene that Israel has already lived through and at the beginning of Joshua, where um, Joshua is, is told to be strong and courageous as he is moving into the promised land and, and stepping into the promise that God had for Israel and, and leading these military campaigns, right? We're, we're still on that verge um, the, the promised land has, has not been fully realized for the people of Israel, but there is this, this call that God has in Joshua's life to be strong and go, right? And, and, and take the land because it is theirs. And that's what happens. And so here, as we are reading this passage, we, we are having these, these thoughts of, of the wilderness story come back to us. We are having these thoughts of, of uh, God's command to Joshua coming back to us. And so the next uh, uh, embedded in this is this, this statement um, that I am with you. God makes a statement that I am with you. And so Israel, even though it is not explicitly stated here yet, or maybe they can't see it yet, can look at the story that they have lived, can look at the story of how God has been with them and how God has delivered them as they are, you know, reenacting it in the midst of their celebrations, they can realize, oh, like we are once again having the opportunity to live this out and our God is faithful. Our God is trustworthy. And just as he delivered the promised land into our hands, even though, you know, we weren't sure how it was going to happen, even though it was a process, perhaps that's exactly what's going to be happening here. And so it's like the people of Israel that, that are here, that, are, that have been called to rebuild the temple, that are in the midst of that work. God is taking them through all of that to help them recognize and realize we press on because when we press on, we get to walk into the promise that God has for us. Yeah. And as if all of those things happening at the same time and everything that the Israelites would have been thinking in this moment wasn't enough. Then Haggai comes and specifically says this. He says in verse five, this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. And so it's this, it, I feel like that just confirms every, everything that you've just spoken about Haggai's word in being intended to help spur them on to be strong and courageous, just as Joshua had to speak to the Israelites, encourage them to be strong and courageous in the face of what seemed like insurmountable odds. This mm -hmm. will never, this temple will never reach its former glory, but it doesn't matter because God has said that to trust him and to fear not, and that he is with us and that should be enough. And so we're going to blindly obey recognizing that he's asked us to, and so we will. And knowing that he is faithful, right? From the story that we've lived, we know that he is faithful. And so 
yes, it's blindly because we don't know what it looks like for his faithfulness right, this time. Right. But like we know he's faithful. And so whatever that looks like, there's going to be. We have his character and yeah, his record right. um, to count to on. To go on. Um, I think in in the midst of this conversation, um, so yes, Israel has been told to be strong. They've been told to fear not. And, and we've, we've settled why they, they can be strong, why they can fear not. Um, those are more dispositions of the heart or the way we think though. And sandwiched between those two statements is this command to work. God says work like that is, that is their, their response. That is their place in this process is to work. Yes. Work in trusting work in belief that God will be faithful and this particular piece is what really stood out to me as, as I was spending time with this passage and wrestling with it. Because I think that oftentimes when I find myself in places where um, the circumstances around me are overwhelming, are frustrating, are not what I had thought they would be, like just insert anything there really, when, when things around me are not what I expected them to be, I, I tend to get distracted by those things, and then that slows down my advancement in whatever I was doing. And, and so the distraction brings essentially a halt to the work. Um, and as I was praying through this and as I was... Uh, continue to read over these just couple of verses, I, I was reminded that, you know, this is still our call. This is my call is to work like, and, and trust the rest to God. He's going to take care of the outcomes. He's going to take care of, of the advancement. But my job is to work in what he has called me to do. Just like the uh, the Israelites were called to rebuild the temple. They weren't called to restore it to its former glory. They weren't called to become the like the the intersection between the Almighty and the creation. Like they were just called to rebuild the temple and walk in obedience. And so they were told to work. And so I, I read that and I'm, I'm just reminded of that same thing. Like I, I can get discouraged. I can get tired. I can get frustrated. But my call is to work and to trust God, to work in obedience and to trust God for the outcomes. Um, and I, I think that was, especially right now, I think that was something that was important for me to hear. I think uh, this is kind of what the the teens had brought up on Sunday. Um, one of one of our teens had mentioned um, that God had a command. In this instance, it was to work, and that all of the promises would be fulfilled. Like that, he's he says, like I'll be with you. Like you're not going to be doing this alone. Like and then he says, um, I will fill this house with glory. And in the closing verse, like, I will grant peace, like, all these things are promises that God is making if right. we, like, they're promises if we continue in the work. 
He's going to be with us. He's going to fill that house with glory. He's going to grant us peace. And so like, not to diminish what he's asking them to do or asking us to do, but if we're obedient in the little thing, like he's more than faithful. Like, it's like, if you do this one little thing, like I'm going to do three things and not just three things, but in this instance, like three things. And so that, like that measure of obedience, like unlocks the promises of God. And like sometimes it, it like we try to make it more than it is in the like in this instance, like there's plenty of times where I have a heart where I know God's wanting me to do something and I just don't feel it. And it's it's like a great reminder for those times when I get in that funk where I don't want to do what God's asking me to do, as you pointed out, just just work. Like I've called you to this. Like trust me to be faithful as I always have been. Just trust me. As I um, as I was working through this um, in preparation for uh, for our time together on Sunday, um, a couple things stuck out to me. So I just got done talking about this obedience portion, um, and for me, um, I recognize that. There are far too many times that I focus on what the temple should look like on the exterior to the detriment of what's taking place on the inside. Um, And so for for me, like when I think about this, this obedience portion, I, I feel like when my heart is surrendered to God in obedience, that I will have a temple that's filled with his glory and that is a place of peace. And as I like thought about that, that is what's going to be attractive to people. Not that I'm going to be attractive, not that the temple should be attractive on the outside necessarily, but what he's doing inside working within the temple is what's going to be, um, what's going to draw people. And so, like, I, I just, I, you know, um, I just recognize, Jesus, that there are far too many times where I pay attention to what's going on, on the outside when you're not looking for the flashiest thing to dwell in. I think we can look through, like, story after story after story um, within His Word. Like, you're not looking to work in the flashiest thing. You're looking to work in the one who's willing to remember that right. you've called them to a task. And to be faithful to whatever that task is, no matter how minimal it may seem or menial in our mind, like if we're willing to say yes, we're going to be a place where we're going to be a people that's attractive because of what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. The glory that you're displaying through us and the peace that you're displaying through us is going to be something that it changes the world, and that glory is going to be greater than what took place in Solomon's temple. And I feel like for me, like that is where I kind of find myself as I work through this, recognizing that there's still a lot of work to do, but not to forget the work that he's called me to. And so we have this um, call, as you point out, Derek, to work, and and the Israelites had this call 
to work. And then subsequent to that, you, as again, as you pointed out a moment ago that, you know, you have all these, like, I guess, promises that get unlocked essentially in the process of this working. And, um, you know, God through Haggai says in a little while, this is what will happen. Like, so, so your call is to work. So you do that even though you don't necessarily know what's beyond on the horizon, your call is to work. You do that now. This is, and then this is the horizon in a little while I will shake the earth. Right. Um, I, all, all nations and what is desired by those nations will come. I will fill this house with glory. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. And I, I, I imagine them hearing this and, and being like frustrated with the state of things and and um being concerned with you know how the Zerubbabel's temple looks in comparison to Solomon's temple and and God is like like what because there's not enough gold or silver in this temple look i need you guys to understand that all the gold and all the silver is mine. Not just what used to be in Solomon's temple. Like, I'm not concerned or consumed by that. It's all mine. And then subsequent to that statement of it's all mine, like it, that, y'all just need to forget about that. He states again, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place, I will grant my peace. And so with this work that Israel is called to, we see the work that God will respond with. So when I was um, coming up with um, a lesson for the little kids this week, um, the thing that really came to me was, you know, they're doing this, they're real, they're, rebuilding this temple, they're feeling kind of defeated and like things aren't good enough. And, you know, Haggai tells them, you know, it's going to be better. It's going to be better than you expect. So I did this little um, skit with the puppet where the puppet took over and did the video for the kids. And, um, you know, it turned out to be, a, you know, it turned out overall to be the best show that they'd ever had. So, you know, that, you know, taking something that is not, that you don't feel the most qualified for and taking that and making it and God can take that and make it great. And as I was going through and thinking of, you know, my personal reflection of that, um, about two years ago, I was, um, praying about a job. Um, I was offered a position that I did not seem, I didn't feel qualified for. It was, um, manager, of uh, two departments. Um, if you know me, I am a people pleaser. I am not the management type. I hate confrontation. Those are all products of a terrible manager in my mind. Um, I took the leap of faith because I felt that God called me to the people, that he called me to care for the people. And over the last two years, I, I can't explain it, but over the last two years, God has moved and he has brought opened my eyes to things that I didn't even know that I had. Um, I learned several weeks ago 
about soft skills and how communicating with people and how researchers are saying that soft skills are what makes people good leaders. And when I'm looking at the soft skills, those are all the things that God has gifted me with. And so I came into the, this job thinking, all right, God, I don't know what I can bring to the table, but I'm here. I'm just going to do what you've called me to do. I don't feel like I'm good enough, but here I am. And he's taken just my, my go and work, just my desire to follow him and do what he's asked me to do. And it, it was kind of blind following because I didn't know what was going to come, but I'd known what he'd done in the past. And in the past, he had shown me over and over again how he can take something and make it great and something that I feel is not good enough and he can make it even better than I imagined. And over the last two years, he's done that. And I, I wouldn't say that I'm a great leader, but I think God has made the qualities that ha- he has given me shine through to the point where I have been able to care for these people. Um, he has given me the ability to feel comfortable in what I do, which is a huge deal because confrontation is still something I deal with every day. But he's given me the confidence and the understanding of how to deal with it better. And if I had not just said, okay, I'm going to do it, I wouldn't even understand what he's even called me to now. And um, I think that's um, something that I got from this passage. And I think it's very similar to what um, the Israelites are going through. I think that as, as Christians, this fits perfectly into really every aspect of our life. I think so often we feel unqualified to be able to teach or to lead or to bring somebody to faith or parent properly or do all of these things. And we really are, we're inadequate, Right. but we don't need to be the star parent because God says the star parent is mine. And we don't need to be the best teacher because God says the teaching is mine and he can take as in your story and in your testimony, Brittany, he can take every little thing that we have to offer as meager as it is. And he can make it enough because when his presence is in it, when his glory is in it, it will change the world. We just have to be willing to take that initial step of faith and say, okay, God, I'll work. I don't see it, but I'm going to choose to believe it. And I'm going to choose not to fear in the process. And as Christians, we are called to take that step of faith. We're called to lean into his promises because we know he has been faithful. We see it throughout his word. We've, we've lived it in our lives. We've seen it experientially through the lives of others around us. And so we have to be willing to take that step. Otherwise, we're going to miss out on the beauty that he can accomplish in the world around us. And the world is going to miss out on his presence and his glory coming into its fullness in the temples that he has left here for the world to see his light. We, it's almost as if, well, I mean, it's not almost as if like that, that there's a reason that like Jesus went to the people who had nothing to lose because they served like they had nothing to lose. And maybe that that maybe that's the word. Quit minimizing what's within you, because when you say you're not enough, you're saying God's not enough. Because if God's in you, then you're saying God's not enough. Like quit minimizing what God is doing in your heart. When we say we're not enough, we're saying God's not enough. As you journey with us, we 
recommend purchasing Midweek Meditations, A Journey Through Haggai and Malachi, which is available for purchase on Amazon. Also, be sure to follow the Living Bird is on podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.